Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to the Romantically Lit Podcast. We have a very, very special episode today that I'm very excited about. We are interviewing Janie Garo about her book, Where We End and Begin, and we have lots of questions and we're just going to get right into it. So thank you again, Jane, for joining us. Um, as I say, we're huge fans of your book and your work, and uh, we're I think we're definitely going to be reviewing uh, Sweet's Remedy on here as well. Yep. But yeah, we just have a lot of questions as fans, questions as interviewers, and yeah, we're just going to get into it. Hannah, do you want to take it away? Yep, I can start off. So obviously, uh, the romance, contemporary romance uh, books have always been influenced by people in the past. So uh, we were wondering, when it comes to writing this particular book, where did you tap in? Was it different writers or different uh, books from across the globe that helped you or influenced you into writing the storyline of different characters that you have? Um, Nigerian old Nollywood movies inspired me greatly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not talking about the ones today. I feel like the Nollywood movies has really veered away from how it used to be. And at the right. point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a fan. She's a fan. <laughs> and as soon as I read, I was like, yeah, it's giving Nollywood. But <laughs> I just, a lot of old Nollywood movies would feature like high school romance, university romances. And sometimes they would do blood oaths. Sometimes a boy will be rich, a girl would be poor just little struggles they would meet years later it was just so i don't know wholesome like i spent a lot of my childhood watching movies like that and i really just i don't know they have a special place in my heart and i kind of wanted to recreate that and um i'm happy i think i did because when my mom and her friends were reading it they were like it really reminded them of their childhood and that old nollywood movie vibes so are there any specific Nollywood classic movies that you were specifically looking at in terms of how it influenced you into writing the characters? Honestly, I can't remember names, but um, uh, some with Genevieve, um, Amotola. I mean, these are just old Nollywood actors. Actors yeah. don't really act anymore. Um, I can't remember many of their titles, but I did reference a few. Went back on YouTube, YouTube and yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, when we were watch or when we were reading, we noticed like some of the elements were very like just that style of media. Um, outside of Nollywood, were there any songs that inspired the work as you were watching or as you were writing? Sorry. Songs. Yes. Um, I actually mentioned the song in the book, um, "Running to You" by. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think his name is Chica. Yeah. 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 That's almost perfect. It hit my soul in a special place when I heard it, and I knew. Okay. I love mention songs in my books. Like I feel like, yeah, there's songs mentioned all like in all my books. Mm -hmm. yeah. That would be the soundtrack for this book. Running <laughs> to you in particular. Yeah. Okay, yeah. very interesting. Um, and then when it comes to like, your own like personal lived experiences, do you feel like there are any characters in particular where you really like through yourself? Your personal self into them and maybe by their attributes or how they they move around uh, or how they look in particular or was it more of like you fabricated these um ideas for this specific book yeah um i think i didn't write my experience into this book but i wrote my aspirations into this book mm -hmm. might seem weird but um, when I started writing this book, I wrote it over the span of like four months and I just wrote every single day. And while I was writing, before I was done, I'm a Christian um, and I prayed to God and I said, I want to write a heartbreaking love story and I want to be in love and I want to feel this kind of love before this book is done. Because when I write it and I write the acknowledgement, I want to dedicate it to the love of my life. And I just, I don't know. I felt like it was weird to write this book about two people who were so madly in love when I haven't, I didn't yet felt that. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote what I hoped for in my relationship because to be honest, I've never been in love. Um, I've dated, but I've never felt 
enough, like a, a great deal of love, like true love. And um, I wrote the book and I met someone and I fell in love with him in a span of, actually I started falling in love with him the day we met, um, the, day, the day we met. And we met like, we met in person, finally, like four, three days later, and we both said, I love you. And I, <laughs> it was very epic. It was very unusual, but it was the answer to my prayer. And I felt everything I wrote in this book, I started to feel it. And when I edited it, I kind of edited it, having a better understanding of that kind of love. Mm. That's crazy. So are you saying what we need to do is write a heartbreaking story? <laughs> tell God, you know, this is what we're looking for. And then, you know? Uh, I, you know what? It might work. Everyone is different. A simple prayer to do it. <laughs> so we got to put aside Sierra's prayer. We got to put aside everybody else's prayer. We got to focus on Jade's prayer. So yes. if you want to just tell us what you told God so we can just, yeah. you know. <laughs> That is so interesting. <laughs> that's okay. That's amazing. So, but your love story is definitely not as heartbreaking as Obina and Dooney's, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you succeeded. It was heartbreaking. Um, <laughs> okay. So then our next question would be, obviously, like throughout the book, you do focus on classism as like a theme. Um, what made you want to make that like, you know, an underlying theme of the book and did you purposely make it or as I noticed like it seemed like Dooney didn't really notice like obviously we all have subconscious like biases it almost seemed like she didn't notice how her life or where she was coming from was playing a part in affecting Obina's like his own journey as well as just the relationship in total outside of them just being kids and being ignorant but like even as they grew, it kind of felt like she didn't fully grasp that. Yeah, Duni was oblivious. And I think about it, um, I didn't intend that. Um, I feel like when you write a story, it's just so big sometimes, usually, like the characters kind of grow into their own and the story grows in, into their own and it has layers you don't intend for it to have, but it, the story just naturally flows like that. And um, that's one of the aspects that kind of flowed and it just made sense, I guess, because Duni's character felt so real to me. So I guess I subconsciously wrote that um, without really pinpointing that she was that oblivious. So it kind of worked out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, just because we're like, you know, when she doesn't acknowledge, when he ex tries to explain why he never reached out, to me, it made perfect sense. I was like, you know what? I get it. Like, I get it. But to her, she was like, this doesn't, this makes no sense to me. And I was like, well, it doesn't seem like she's acknowledging, like, how traumatic what had happened to him was and, yeah. like, you know, how embarrassing that could be. And especially we come from cultures where shame is a huge thing. So, like, why he would hold shame to that? And it just seemed a little, I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah, it made sense because I, I, a lot of people who come from a wealthy background, who are sheltered, can't comprehend what it is not to have. And what that is not just about um, the financial aspect, not being able to buy this or that. It has an emotional and mental aspect as well. And it's kind of hard to break away from that. And if it's as it was for Obina, kind of shoved in his face every day at school with Duni's mother. Right. It definitely had an impact on him that she I don't think she would ever truly be aware of because she's never been put in a situation close to that all her life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know you mentioned like Dooney's mother and then there's Obina's mother. We noticed throughout the book, like none of these two characters had a first name. It's almost like they were unknown in some ways. Was I intentional? You know what? No, it doesn't do these moments have a name. A first name? We, I'm not aware. Does she have a first Her name? Her dad doesn't have a name either. Yeah, it's more Only like their last dad. name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what? If that happened, that's just a cultural thing because it's auntie, it's uncle. Sometimes right. you aren't your mom, mommy, daddy, and I hate that, but it's a, a cultural thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like I remember I saw this video on YouTube 
on some social media platform and this kid was lost and they were like where's your mom and he was like i don't know what's your mom's name he was he was in nigeria and the kid was like mommy <laughs> because I'm like not knowing their parents name because if they aren't calling them mommy someone is calling them mama the name yeah. of their born mama paul you know stuff like that so no one goes around saying Miriam. <laughs> yeah okay that makes sense that makes yeah. sense Okay, so my next question would be not just your book, a couple of the others that we've read. For me personally, I feel like I've read romance before, but doing a podcast, I'm definitely rereading more or getting back into the genre. And I've noticed like the male characters have a lot of depth um, added to them. So when you're writing like a character like Omina, who I'm not going to lie, he seems perfect like he's not real like there are moments yeah. where i was like this is written by a woman um <laughs> no man like this like that. That. <laughs> i was like this is not real uh do you ever worry like you're just making him too unrealistic or like just as a writer in romance like you worry like oh the male character is just like he should fabricate like just too real unreal to relate to and how do you like like navigate making sure the male character isn't like the central character in the story and that it's even. Um, how do I make sure the male character is a central character? Not the central. Not the central. Well, I'll try to make both of them have a, like in this book, I try to make both of them have a good amount of page time, <laughs> not screen time, page time. Yeah. Um, to know them i feel like obina was not perfect i mean he had he was a womanizer had slept with many women but i like to make my i i really love flawed characters and i don't think people write about them enough especially when it comes to romance they want their characters to be perfect and and even Duni, she cheated on her fiance and someone asked me why did you make her do that and i said because people cheat and she's human um, I, I want to create flawed characters, but I want my flawed characters to be forgivable. And I feel like um, Obina is forgivable, and so is Duni, even though she makes that mistake. She does a, a, raw, a bad thing to um, Christopher, who didn't deserve to be cheated on. But I feel like we've, she's forgivable, so... Yeah. Okay, that was a question I forgot to write down, but I had throughout the book. Why did you make him a womanizer? <laughs> because I felt like it wasn't for him about having these multiple women. It wasn't about him trying to recreate what he lost with Duni. It was about him. He had established a, a great deal of success. And if you go to Lagos, um, successful men are honey <laughs> to women it's actually really insane whether that man is married or not multiple women will come after him it's just how it is they want to mm -hmm. be taken care of unfortunately because the economy isn't great so they want someone to take care of them um so i imagine that a lot of women would be after obina and for the first time in his life he would feel like he has the means to say okay i'm good enough um, I understand why they want me, and he would want to—he would want to be with them just for that um, confirmation that he's worthy, that he's wanted, that he's good enough. Until, yeah, I feel it was, it was for the self, for the confirmation that he—it was about a self-esteem thing, not about mm -hmm. being. Sir. Okay, I thought as much, but he never pursued because I think outside of Christopher, I think Duny mentions having one other kind of serious like relationship he never establishes like a serious relationship outside of just frolicking okay so he's a professional yeah gallivanter okay <laughs> um that's cool yeah i was seeing on the podcast i was like burner boy city boy obviously i was like that is obi like he wrote that song about obi because he was just out here um women are at work and they're talking about him which is a little crazy <laughs> but uh yeah how do you have a question um, my question is more about how the book is formatted. So I like that we love the fact that we go from present to then 
which is voiced by Duni mostly, and then to then, which is voiced by Obina. Um, when you were trying to develop like how you want to structure the book, were there any other ideas you had besides just doing like present and then like going back and forth? Um, it's a very powerful way that you did it also. I think it was really nice like how it was all stitched together. Um, but were there any other ideas around how you wanted to structure the book? No, um, I knew I wanted to do it like this. This mm -hmm. book, longest book I've ever written, the most, I feel like my writing is the strongest in this book than the others, mm -hmm. but it was the easiest book to write. Um, things just came very easy. I gave my editor the first draft and she had like very little comments. It was just really easy. And I felt it's because I felt the story so deeply. It was more than just a story for me. So, um. Yeah, that past and present part just came very naturally when I um, intended to write the story. Okay. And you mentioned earlier that it took you four months to just draft up the story. Was yeah. Like, wow. I wrote intensively for, I think, maybe three months. And then when I was on the first draft, I took some time to edit it. Okay. And I know like, obviously with all writers, you always have those slumps where you're just like, ah, it's challenging at this point. Like, what do I, how do I like brought out the story? So did you ever face multiple, um, I guess like writer slumps as you were developing the book? Yeah, I think like that's kind of inevitable. Mm -hmm. Like I think I can't remember precisely, but it happens um, whenever I'm writing, but I always take a step back and honestly, I always pray and <laughs> And it's it works like magic. I say, Holy Spirit, help me write this book. Help mm -hmm. me write this. I'm stuck. I just talk, and every single time it just happens. I, I just get back on the computer and write. Were there any particular um, characters, character decisions where you're just like, oh, this is tough. Like, should we have this happen? Like, for instance, I'm not gonna lie to Odile and I. We we screamed when um, Austin got knocked by that car. It was, it was it terrible. It wasn't <laughs> then. I just want you to know, I screamed from mom and I was like, oh, there's a kid too. I thought my dad was dead. Then I screamed again. Then I screamed with the car. <laughs> then I put the book down. Then I paced a little bit. And then I was like, I, I can't lie. I was like, Jane, if, if Austin dies, I'm not going to read the rest of this book. <laughs> but, but yeah. Oh yeah, we we were we were shocked. We were absolutely shocked. Um, but when we come when it comes to like making decisions as to where your characters are leading to, any challenges from that aspect? Well, I think the only the most challenging aspect of this book was I really wanted a tragic love story. Okay. And I feel like like the Titanic, someone needed to die. You know? <laughs> Even to foreshadow when he mentioned that movie earlier on. Yeah. The whole blood oath thing, and I really struggled. I thought I wanted to kill off Duni. <laughs> what? Um. Yeah. Okay. Like in the in the part where she was running after her daughter in the street, I didn't immediately say it was the daughter. I kind of you know, because I was thinking maybe it should be her, and maybe she should turn into a ghost. You know. I really oh, was. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm not gonna lie to you. When that scene happened, I said it's giving Nollywood. <laughs> it's giving Nollywood. <laughs> I was like, this is getting crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I talked to a friend, and at the end, my mom was like, "Don't you dare write a sad story." <laughs> so I didn't. But um, I'm glad I I didn't kill her off because after you read a whole book. And you go through all the emotions the characters face. I feel like it's mean just to not give them, give. In fact, it's not for the characters; it's for the readers. So when they close that book, they say, "Okay, it's good," and they are happy and they're satisfied. I haven't read a sad love story. I don't think I ever have, like a contemporary novel. I don't think I would appreciate that, so I wouldn't do it to the readers. Hmm. I have read one like that. It was a Nicholas Sparks book in high school. And like, it was like a second chance. They got together like in their fifties, like they had families at that point. And a lot of stuff happened. He ended up trying to save her. And in doing that, he lost his life. And I was like, what was the point? What was the point of you dragging me? What was that? I can't remember the name. I think it might've been not me before you. I'd have to look it up. Um, but yeah, I read it like in high school. I'll I'll look it up uh, 
and let you know. But that yeah. actually, you brought a point because Han and I were having this debate. Yeah. I would say I'm a I love an epilogue. Like the epilogue for me lets me know, like, because you can imagine, and I did that with your story. I was like, I I have an idea of where things went after you know we leave the hotel room and they move back home. Like I can imagine that, but I love an epilogue because it it puts it on the page like it's canon now. Like for sure, for sure, everything is okay. Like it's fine. So I was wondering <laughs> why does this book have an epilogue? Um, you know what? I love the way it ended. I agree. Okay. Like, I didn't want to make it cheesy. I feel like sometimes epilogues can be so cheesy. Like, we know they're happy now. So, what is it going to be? And you know what? They kind of told us what their future would look like when they were younger. They would have a dog who loved Duni more than Obina and all that stuff. We know yeah. they're going back to Nigeria. I just didn't want to make it cheesy. I just wanted to end it, end it sweet and like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Adelia definitely had some ideas about the epilogue. Do you want to share with Jane like what yes, your no, idea was? Like he's a real writer. I don't want to. No, no, I feel like honestly, it was a lovely. It was a lovely epilogue, Adelia. Please, please share it. No, I think it was just that they move home. They're gonna move houses though. They're not staying at Obi's house because it's giving bachelor pad, and who knows who's been there at this point. Yeah. Um, and they'd have their own home, and I think they would have two other kids, like a girl. And they would name it after his mom, um, and then a boy. Yeah, and then for their honeymoon, they would go to Italy and have gelato. And oh, it's pretty good. good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very full circle moment because when that that scene when they were talking about their future, they definitely mentioned um, various things. I was personally satisfied with the ending because I knew like this is how like I know for sure what they envisioned when they're talking about their future is definitely going to happen so I was happy with just them ending yeah. and then I think like another question I have is related to because you talked about like it being an ode to like what you want um in in your own like love life so um when it comes to love generally, are you more of an easy bam type of love or do you prefer the love that is more tested through time but still worthwhile? Like which camp do you do you sit on? I don't know. You know what? I don't want to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like If a relationship doesn't have a degree of challenge where they're, the couple is learned, ha, has grown through it, learned to depend on each other better, communicate better, I feel like it's not as strong because if it's easy and it's like five years of easy and happiness, when something big happens, how they won't have the capacity to handle it. So I feel like challenges are necessary for growth. Um, so yeah, a little bit of both, some easy, some challenges. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I like how, and we love the fact that in the book, I know Dooney started off talking about wanting that complicated love. And then Obi's just like, no, I want something very easy, very swift. And then they do that little switch after those 12 years. I thought that was really cool. Um, and like his fighting for that difficult type of, I don't know, Titanic kind of love. And she's just like, she's unsure about her own like childhood envisions about what love is. Um, I think that we, it was just a really good um, circle. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, and the book from earlier was uh, The Best of Me by Nicholas Sparks. Oh, um, okay, yeah. I, I never watched the movie, but yeah. Um, yeah, I guess my next question would be, like, 12 years is a really, 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 really long yeah. time. <laughs> Why do you do anything to contact Obi, like, over those years or, yeah. like, try and look for him again? If not for herself, but, like, for for Austin. Yeah. Grown up Dooney is kind of annoying. People have. Oh, thank like, God. Okay. <laughs> we were, we're afraid of like offending. We are, we don't oh, like it. express your opinions freely. <laughs> Dooney was a bit annoying. I feel like she was, she tried to reach out to Obi. Now she sent the email when she said, I'm pregnant. And 
she felt abandoned, like he didn't want her. And I felt that was enough for her. It might be enough for a lot of people to say, okay, he doesn't want me. Maybe he read the message and he doesn't want this child. He didn't want something to do with me. And she's like, whatever, I'll do it myself. And yeah. Yeah, because we were saying, I don't think, Miss Girl did not exhaust every option. Like, she, she, yeah, even her dad said it. Why didn't you tell me? And she just oh like, oh my God. Yeah. She, yeah, that part I was like, so you didn't think? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did. You know how sometimes teenagers are just stubborn and they're like, you know what, I can do it myself. I think she was just stuck in her own head. And I, maybe she didn't feel safe enough to go to her parents, especially her mom. And yeah. And that's fine. But you know, like she got to like age 20 and like age 23, age 25, age 28, perhaps even at 30. Like, I don't know. It just (laughs) felt like a really long time that she was just like, I'm okay with this. But I understand like part of that was her being on autopilot for a very long time as well. But yeah, I don't know. And we probably should have asked you this at the beginning, but how did you know you wanted to write romance novels? Oh, I love love. Mm. I can't read a book without there being romance. I can watch a movie with no romance, but a book? What am I reading for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I guess my next question would be, uh, do you have a favorite chapter of this book or like a line that you wrote yourself? And you're like, oh, I can't believe I wrote that. Oh yeah, so many. But my favorite chapter is a status chapter to me. When um Duni and Obina say goodbye when they make love. Yeah. Obina basically says that he's not good enough for her. Um, I can't remember the exact words, but Oh, we'll tell you. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> um I think my, you texted it to me. I don't remember what it was actually. But it was like he's not worthy, something like that. He didn't yeah. feel worthy of her. Yeah. So the goodbye chapter when they were younger, so after the um the injury on, on the back, right? Yeah. 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 I that was so sad. I did text it to Adila and I said for Abina to say that because she was everything and he felt like he was worth nothing. Yeah. That oh my god, that was so sad. And I think like throughout the book, we are just looking. We just want to hold Obina and say like you are gonna be somebody great. And you you're an amazing person. And I don't know that that was that was pretty sad. I'm gonna say that was the sad a sad chapter for me as well. It was was pretty, it was pretty intense. Yeah, I think. That was chapter 32. I remember because it's like yeah. the last then chapter. And I was like, oh, man, no more Obi's uh, POV. Yeah. Like, this is it. So, dude, you got to act right. And then she did it. <laughs> and then, um, But, yeah, I, yeah, it was super sad. I think that was also it as well because you made the then chapters focus on Obi. And it's so easy to not to, to feel sympathy for an 18-year-old boy. Like, it was just almost too easy uh, it made everything duty did a little, a little worse, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have a theory around Dooney's character. I don't know, like, since this is a safe space, um, I, I always felt, well, now I feel for sure that I don't think Dooney thought that Obi was going to be successful and like acquire as much as he did in his adult life. Because I know when she touched down in Lagos, she was envisioning, oh, who could Obi be at this moment? And she was referencing more of like, you know, he could be an electrician, he could be a plumber, but not like he could be a CEO or a head of his own um, development company. Um, and some part of me resents Dooney or I don't know, dislikes her for that because I think, and maybe it's because of how she grew up and her lifestyle and, you know, having this you know, last name that was known to everybody um, in Nigeria and it held so much power. Do you feel that same way about Dooney or do you think like she was like I don't know because that's that's just my theory around her yeah that's a good theory I feel like she believed in Obina when they were younger maybe she didn't believe in him enough um and that's why she thought that yeah when she came to Lagos she thought he was um one of the people on the streets doing just yeah. odd jobs yeah think she believed in him enough also she couldn't look past who they were when they were younger that image she had of him of Mm -hmm. them being kids 
Um, she didn't know what career he was pursuing in university. She just had no clue what he could be. So she just automatically thought maybe he was just where she left him and he hadn't changed and he never evolved. And he asked her that when she said, um, when they eventually met for the first time, he said, didn't you think I would evolve? Did you think you would find me still selling food in the market? And I don't think she ever, no, she never thought that he, he would be something so grand. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do have, I like, a, actually, yeah, go ahead, Adelia. No, I was going to say, I think that's actually one of my favorite lines from Obi. Like, it's really early in the book, but just because, again, like we discussed, Judy does not acknowledge her own biases in their relationship or from her background. And it is different when you're old money and new money. You can kind of, like, see both sides of it. And, I mean, it is a little ridiculous, though, that she was like, maybe nothing could happen to him. And he just kind yeah. of... <laughs> nothing like you didn't even imagine he maybe won the lottery i don't know i don't know yeah (laughs) but um but yeah but then now that i'm wondering because i asked before like when obi becomes who he is i understand like sometimes when so much time has passed you're just like i i can't even make this phone call anymore but when he realized did he ever realize that tila was friends with dooney like at no point in that time did he ask about her or wanting to see her like do you have any clues asked Tiwa about wanting to see her yeah or like did he know they were friends or like anything like that over the 12 years that no he didn't know because um Duni first of all never mentioned Obina to Tiwa um Tiwa was in um London and he was actually a character from another book The Sweetest Remedy and oh, so okay. yeah um <laughs> sorry <laughs> her character is very um, not the nicest in that book, so I just laughed. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um Tiwa was in the in London at boarding school. So um Duni never mentioned him to her, especially after the heartbreak. She just kept that detail to herself. And so um Obina wouldn't ask Tiwa because he didn't know that Tiwa knew um Duni. Are okay. all three of your books, like, do they have some sort of crossover or just these two? Oh, no, I just really love Tiwa's character. And I thought that it would be perfect just to insert her. They aren't connected whatsoever. Okay. okay. And um, in the same way, do you have, like, any, what are, like, your favorite Black romance novels? And also, are there any, like, African romance novels or just African writers that you, you're discovering or you love that we should be checking out as well? Mm. I love, oh gosh, her name. She is the author. I think it's Bola. Bolu Babalola. Yes, that's her. Yeah. I read her book, Sugar and Spice. Oof, it was so good. It just gave feels yeah. of um, 90s um, black rom-coms. Oof. And they don't make movies like that anymore. It's a shame. But no. yeah, it, that book, I, I loved every single thing about it. I love the Nigerian representation. It was funny. It was sweet. I have to read it again, actually. I read have the author book, but I have to buy the actual book because I thought it was wonderful. Have you read her uh, analogies, uh, Love and Color, as well, with the different short stories? I haven't. I, I don't love short stories. I'm currently trying to read one called Nearly All the Men in Lagos Are Mad. Yeah. We're thinking of that read. I bought it months ago, but I'm not good with short stories. I've already read one short story, the first one, and I really, really loved it. So I will go back. Okay. Are they as mad as the book describes well, me? The book didn't have to tell me that. I already knew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's very tough out here. <laughs> Toronto, in Lagos, everywhere. It's chaos. <laughs> um, I wanted us to chat a little bit more about Aduni's mom. Um, so her just so we at the beginning we're all surprised as to why she behaves the way she does so i we totally understand how um you know we, she was projecting for the most part like she saw obina and uh, and duni's story sort of reflect how she was when she was younger but i think she took it too far i think she took it way too far um and therapy is is needed <laughs> for sure to really um deal with all that trauma that she had uh when you were writing her character were you always going to find a moment towards the end of the book to try and 
show the readers that they're going to rekindle the relationship um or were you like or do you have thoughts about i don't know just leaving her as she is because she's a lot she's a lot older and i know like african parents like we all have them here sometimes when they're stuck in like their ways of things there's no way of changing them um so your decision making for them to i don't know rekindle their i guess or start building up their relationship was that always gonna be part of the plan throughout the book yeah it was i felt like duni deserved that and i think obina deserved that and although there's in a chapter with her and Obina. I didn't feel it was necessary. Mm. She does mention that she was going to talk to him and basically everyone in her life because she's hurt every single person in her life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She... That's my next question. Sorry, Hana. <laughs> no, you spent a lot of time abroad. Fine. There's no therapy in Nigeria. There's therapy in London. There's therapy in Amsterdam. Therapy because Nigerians, it's, at least back then, I don't really know about if there are therapists in Nigeria. I really wouldn't know. Maybe I, I, I assume that they are some, but it's not something that's like popular. We go to church. It's terrible. That shouldn't be the only resource. Yeah. So I felt like back then in Obina's, in Duni's mom's time, no one would say, you need to go to therapy. They would say, you need to go to church. You need to pray for God to heal you or. Mm -hmm. In fact, they would just expect her to get over it. So what if a man beat you for this amount of time and you reduce your self-esteem? Like women, it's different in Africa. It's different in Nigeria. They aren't like resources. So if it happens to a woman, it's just like they, they're expected. Okay, I'm sorry it happened to you, but you need to move on. And Duni's mom had the option of going to running back to her parents. A lot of women especially who don't have the privilege that Juni's mom did have because she came from a good family, a wealthy family. If they ran to their parents, their parents would tell them to go back home and fix things with their husband. And this happened in the media a few years ago when a woman did run away from her husband. And um, I think she pleaded on social media. And I think the senator or some government official in that state came out and he made a statement because social media was pressuring the state to help this lady. And he said, let her and her husband reconcile. And she was pushed to go back to her husband and she died. And yeah, so Duni's mom was lucky that she could get out, but going to therapy isn't something that's really talked about or even seen as something that exists really. So we were looking at it more of the lens that she comes from like a more privileged background and her husband is who he is. And he seems, though he, he seems like he doesn't know what's happening in his own home, but he does seem like he cares for her and it sounds like he's tried to help her in some way. So we're thinking like, obviously, you know, with privilege, you, you get other things that normally, you know, and sometimes with privileged culture gets pushed to the side. So we're thinking, oh, maybe she did have like those barriers are obviously still there she does mention like everybody told her to go to church but like perhaps it was reduced or you know so they never because staying away from your kids for 30 plus years is a little like that's bad for them and for you you're like she's missed out on so many memories so i was like perhaps they want to fix like do something about it so she can enjoy her her parenthood and you know her life essentially yeah um Honestly, I just felt like she thought leaving her kids was the best or putting some distance between them because um, she had this violence in her, this anger that she hadn't resolved and she was taking it out on her children. And she felt it was just best that they were better without her. And um, Austin, her granddaughter, was better without her. She didn't trust herself with her children. And I feel like it could even go beyond that. She didn't, she didn't think that she deserved love. Um, I feel like trauma from the research I did while writing this book, this specific part is that it manifests in different ways. Not everyone can deem it as logical, but it's how that person who's, how, who has the burden of that trauma views things and yeah. 
And what's so shocking that, you know, because of all that trauma and like how she honestly <laughs> ruined everybody's <laughs> life in that sense, Obina was extremely forgiving. And to the point where I'm just like, Obina is better than me. <laughs> Obina is better than most of us. So was that the intention that you wanted, like to make sure that Obina was a very forgiving person to the point where even doing was just like, they had an argument around it. It's just like, how can you be, how can you forgive this woman? Like you don't understand how she is. Uh, why do you make him so forgiving? Because I feel like he should hold just just a little bit, a little bit of like resentment and like, I don't know, uh, dislike towards her. Yeah. Um, Obina was raised by a very religious woman. See, that's yeah. what I said. That mm. can play to it. I mean, even though her husband left her, yeah, she wasn't angry. Um, I imagine she must have been at a point, but she told Obina in the book that, she was content that she was working with what she had. She didn't say anything about hating her father or wishing him bad luck wherever he was. Um, so I feel like Obina took that from his mom and the fact that she'd re raised him with um, in a religious way. And even in the beginning of the book, in the earlier stages of their relationship, he didn't, he held things back from Duni in regards to her mother because he just didn't want to ruin their relationship. Um, and after his mom died, I felt like he was just like, life is too short. Um, she's your mom no matter what. So mm -hmm. yeah, you have to forgive. Yeah. Speaking of Obi's father, what, I guess, cause I'm like, Dini, I can't understand why someone would just abandon their child yeah. and their life and like act like it just doesn't exist. So why is it when he saw him, like the best he could come up with was the past is the past. Like he didn't literally ruin everybody's life, but you know. He said, what has happened has happened. That's what he said. Yeah. And that, that threw me off. I said, no, we have to fight you. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, Obina's dad was just a deadbeat. He was yeah. selfish. I, I'm not gonna try and give him any sort of depth. Um, he was just a bad person. And people like that exist. Um, men and women walk away from their children all the time, selfishly. So that was Obina's dad, unfortunately, for him. And did you, like, in your head when you're writing him, did you imagine, like, his character never thought Obina would come and look for him? Because he seemed so shocked. It was like, oh, my God, how did this happen? <laughs> left him in Nigeria and he was what? In Santa Monica or where was he? Santa Clara, I think. Yeah. He was just living his life. He had a good job. So sorry. He was really ridiculous. No, like he was gardening. I was like, I what know. do you mean gardening? He had children. He had a wife. He had a nice little house in the suburbs. Like his past was way behind him. So he did not expect it. Yeah, I think his reaction of like crying even and sobbing, that really upset us. We were annoyed. Yeah. I was like, why do you have to cry? Why are you upset? And then Odilia, like she was telling me uh, when she read through those chapters, it's like, it's because he was, he was upset that more so that he got caught. He never thought yeah. that his past would come looking for him. Yeah, and his current wife now knows what he did. Yeah. Because that to me is unforgivable. I imagine his yeah. wife. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but Miss Claire, girl, <laughs> a man tells you that his wife divorced <laughs> him and took his kids. <laughs> You're not a little bit curious? Like, it's giving, like, you know when baby daddies are like, yeah, she's keeping me from my kids. Like, that's what it sounds like. Because I would be like, okay, that's really sad that's happened to you. Have you tried looking for him? Have you? Yeah. Like, let's, let's do some research, you know? But she was like, oh, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, let's just move on, have more kids. You know, some people want to be delusional <laughs> <laughs> even at the door she's like huh you, you look so much like my husband <laughs> ma'am he has a son somewhere in the world like i think she's like content life. or maybe the life that he has afforded her she's like i don't want to argue with a person who is like i don't know look at us like we have two garages we have three beautiful kids we have you know he can garden anytime he wants i think she's just like i don't want to cause problems i just want to stay where i am i think that's what it is it's just a settling yeah, no, it's a little crazy for me. Okay, yeah. So my my final question is, um, as non-Nigerians, we're wondering, do you know where in the city of Toronto we can find Ofada stew and rice so that we can try it and understand what's going on? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. 
I don't, there are a few Nigerian restaurants, uh, but they aren't great. The ones that I know, they just don't deliver. You're mm -hmm. better at home. May I ask where you guys, what's your ethnicity? So I am from East Africa, I'm Ugandan, um, but then I also grew up in Kenya. So, but I go back and forth between those two countries. Okay. I'm Cameroonian and I mostly grew up here. Oh, okay. Well, I think there's some good Nigerian restaurants downtown. Um, I've seen some on Blogtio pop up. <laughs> Do some research. I, I don't know. I don't trust Nigerian restaurants because I feel like they don't, it doesn't compare to cooking at home. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm sorry, guys. No, that's fair. That's no, fair. Okay. I, would, I can try and look for like food from back home. You'd rather just go to your home, your native yeah. land, and just have your mom cook up something with the aunts or something. Yeah, I've noticed that Africans don't like takeout, but like they're not fond of takeout because you're right. Everybody's mom is just like literally Gordon Ramsay and the chef in the yeah. kitchen. But but I get you. Like for me, what I find criminal is what people do with puff puff. Like it, the cookies and cream puff puff does not have to be a thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm yeah. so so sorry. Please stop. Like I stop drizzling the strawberry. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, just but, yeah. I well, the coffee is becoming a bit too elegant for my liking these days. Yeah. Oh, make it soft. Mm, it's one of my favorites. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my final question is, what do you hope um, you want your readers to learn from the your unique style of writing? Uh, obviously, we read your work, uh, this book in particular, and we're, going, we're definitely going to check out your other books as well. Now we know that Tiwa is in one of them. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try and see how what that one's about. Um, but what do you want your readers to mostly learn about your unique style of writing? Or I guess like your, what's your hopes for the books as you write them? Um, I have different intentions when I write. And depending on what I want to accomplish or what I want the um, readers to feel. My writing is different. This book, I wanted them to it wanted it to be a very emotional story. And I feel like my writing was very emotional, very descriptive. I tried very hard to describe their emotions the best I could. And so this writing style is different from my other two. I would say my other two is a bit more commercial. And um because the love is not that serious or that deep <laughs> as it is with this book, but it's still nice. It's still, you know, it's still love. And in my YA novel coming out um, next year, it's more of a YA feel. Mm -hmm. And in the book I'm writing, it's more cheeky. It's it's fun. So um, my writing style differs depending on the kind of story I want to tell. Okay. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to check out your other works as well. But like this as a starter is our palettes are just like demanding more of it. Um, I think the writing was so strong and it was very poetic in many aspects. Um, it had references to many things. And so, yeah, we definitely picked that up as we're reading it. Uh, will there ever be a sequel for this book? Do you think in the like the maybe like Obina and Dooney's life or maybe in Austin's point of view? Like, have you ever thought about that? No. No. <laughs> I don't think it's done. It's done. Um, but I, I, I'm, I am going to write a sequel for one of my books, The Sweetest Remedy, at okay. some point. Um, yeah, that's the one T was in. I'm going to write. Okay. Okay. Cool. And why YA? Like that's your next book. What made you want to tap into young adult, right? Uh, the young adult space. Yeah. So um, this my YA novel coming out June of next year is called Miss With Love Miss Americana. <laughs> okay. I love the title, <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to write a story about a teenage girl, an immigrant who just moved to America, and how she's adjusted. I've read a lot of YA novels, and I haven't come across anything that deals. Maybe there is, but I just haven't come across um, of a teenage girl moving from another country, moving to America, and trying to deal with um, the new experiences and fitting in with school. And yeah, so um, I moved to Canada when I was um, 11, 12-ish, and it was an adjustment. I just kind of wanted to put my experiences into a book somewhat inspired by my experiences so okay. we'll definitely be in the lookout for that ya um book uh so you said june next year 
June 18th, I believe. June, June 18th. Okay, perfect. Um, so like, how do you, how does your writing schedule work? It feels like you're just pulling out books like, you know, Rihanna with albums back in the day. Like you, every year you have like a new, a new piece of work. How does, how does that work? Um, well, I didn't have anything come out this year. I took a little bit of a break, but um, I don't know. How does it work? I just write anything that I'm obsessed with passionate mm -hmm. in the moment. And I don't ever want to restrict myself to just romance. I mean, there will be a romantic element in my book, but I wouldn't, I, I don't think, I just want to write anything that comes to my mind. And right now I'm really obsessed with the book I'm working on. Very obsessed. I'm thinking about it right now. That's how that's how I am. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So once I'm, sometimes it's hard to just get into the groove of writing, especially when you're mapping out the world and figuring out who these characters are. But once I'm in it, I'm just for three months or how long it takes me, um, I'm just very immersed in the process. And is there any ritual that you perform? <laughs> besides like of course like you pray and making sure like you know you you get all those slumps but is there anything weird or like strange that you do in order to like get into the mood of writing so like sitting in a cafe or like sitting in a dark room like how how does your mind uh come up with uh the stories i just pray <laughs> that's okay. it i go to a cafe um too much distractions i love the quiet space i like music mm -hmm. playlists for what i'm working on yeah that's about it Okay. Cool. Well, that's Can you give us a song off the playlist yeah. you're listening to right now, just to give us like an idea. Uh, okay. Bad Blood, Taylor Swift. Or okay. Karma by Taylor Swift as well. And Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift. By Taylor Swift. <laughs> just a lot of Taylor Swift. They're perfect for this book. Okay. Are there any playlists on, I don't know which streaming platform you use, Apple Music or Spotify, that you always like go to? I create my own playlist. Okay. Yeah. And it's full of, is it mostly like Taylor Swift, then Afrobeat, and then maybe some <laughs> R&B? It's just a mixture of everything? It depends on the vibes, but um, I like Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm pretty sure when she announced those uh, concert dates, I think it's next year that she's coming to Toronto or something. I don't know. I Are don't you... give her concerts. I'm not like, um, I think they're called Swifties or something. Yeah, you're not a stan. You're not a full, full stan. Oh, no, I, I I like her. I think she's a good writer um, of songs, um, mm -hmm. but I'm not obsessed. Yeah, I'm a respectable Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> I respect her. I'm a little crazy. That's good to know. <laughs> It's okay. I think everybody's trying to not be associate self with any type of stanhood anymore because, like you said, it's sometimes a little, it's a little crazy. Yeah, but yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so so much, Jane, for doing this. We appreciate you. Thank you for indulging our questions. Yeah. Um, and our theories. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely check out all of Jeannie Garo's work. Uh, and you can be as assessed as we are. And uh, thank you again. Thank you so much, guys. I really like um, enjoyed speaking with you too. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your weekend as well. Good luck with the with the writing. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.